Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours, episode 64. Rob here. On this episode, we're trucking along through the X-Men movie franchise. In this episode, we're talking 2013's The Wolverine. I'm joined by Ryan Luis Rodriguez of One Track Mind to discuss this first James Mangold entry into the X-Men franchise, first of two, which we'll get to. And the second in an unconventional Wolverine trilogy of sorts, which again, Lots to talk about there. As always, you can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as crickettable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about The Wolverine. I've been trying to find The Wolverine for over a year. It's not who I am anymore. My employer wants to say thank you for saving his life all those years ago. There is a time when our enemies knew honor. I wanted to offer you something no one else can. A gift. You have struggled long enough. I can end your eternity. Make you mortal. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we're back at the X-Men mega series talking... What is this? This is like... I don't even remember what number this is. This is 92 in, in a list <laughs> of 127. Like, it feels like this is the longest mega series uh, we've ever covered, just barely clearing uh, Planet of the Apes. Uh, so it's you know it's my great honor to bring back from his appearance in Conquest uh, for Conquest of Conquest of the Planet Conquest of the Apes. Of, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it gets a little confusing with the prepositions in that. Apparently. Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Ryan Luis Rodriguez, welcome back to the show, sir. Well, thank you for having me, and I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> well, to this uh, this episode we're talking 2013's The Wolverine. I, I feel like, I don't know if you need to apologize for this conversation. No, I'm just apologizing for what I'm going to say. I'm not apologizing <laughs> okay. for the movie. The movie's fine, stands up on its own. <laughs> but for me, you, that's always baggage that you got to bring to a podcast. Well, if if this was X Men Origins Wolverine, we'd both be apologizing. Uh, but Which by I this thought point, it was when we first discussed this. You mentioned it, and I was like, "Oh, that crappy movie." And then you had to clarify, "No, no, no, the one in 2013." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, the that's much better." Yeah, I'd much rather do that one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's oh uh, man, it's really it's. It, we were saying just before we started recording. What a strange trilogy this Wolverine trilogy is. It feels, it doesn't even feel like a trilogy. It's just, but it has, there are three movies centered on Wolverine, but they feel so distinct stylistically, just on the, the timeline 
if whatever this franchise calls the timeline still stands. The multi-line, because it, it just, that line goes all over the place. There's it, no straight it, line for this timeline. It does. And then Days of Future Past just blew X-Men Origins off the map anyway, so yeah. it's whatever. Thank God. Thank God for Days of Future Past. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Brian Singer, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I forgot he yeah, directed it. Never mind. Exactly. I know, I know. It gets, again, that's the other complicated part of this franchise. But tell people a, a little bit about who you are and, and your podcasts and everything you have going on. Sure. Uh, I have two podcasts. The first is One Track Mind, where every week, or every other week, rather, I talk about a movie via its audio commentary. And uh, I'm currently working on the first two Superman movies, the first of which I can recommend, the second of which uh, I apologize if you ever have to do franchise detours on Superman. Uh, two is not great. And, uh, and then I also do a podcast uh, called Reels of Justice, where we, we have a, a prosecutor, a defender, a judge, and a jury, and we try to determine if the film is guilty or innocent of being a bad movie. So where do you stand on Superman 2, the, the Donner cut? An improvement? A bad and yes, a different that's way? The, like, that's actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the version that I'm going to do. Okay, Because nice. I cannot stand the theatrical version of Superman 2. Whereas the Richard Donner cut, I don't think is a movie. I think that it's basically yeah. a glorified DVD bonus feature. But it is sure. absolutely fascinating, the fact that you can actually see this kind of like legacy reclaimed after so many years of just ill will. And to actually see, oh, this could have been something special if they actually let him finish making the movie. You know, I've never understood since we're and we're talking obviously superhero movie with with the Wolverine in a second, but I feel like for the longest time from 1980 when Superman two came out until like I don't know the last maybe 10 or 15 years, I feel like that movie was like pretty well liked overall, and I always have been kind of like, eh, it's fine. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it, been like, it's been considered the superior okay. version, which is like I yeah. don't understand that at all. I've never got I've never liked that movie. Yeah. And I never understood what the complicated behind the scenes story was. And then once I knew, then I could never watch that movie again. Exactly. It just it, it everything that is glaring about it becomes even more glaring once you know even just a cursory amount of what happened behind that movie. Yeah. Interesting franchise in and of itself, the Superman films, which I will have to get to eventually. We also haven't done the um, the nine eighty nine to ninety seven Batman's, so that Ooh, those boy. are both dead. Those are both on the horizon at some point. Uh, and probably, ironically, the director yeah. of Superman is the husband of the producer of the X Men movies. That's true, Lauren Lauren Schuller 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 That's right. That's right. There's a connection for you. I think you can also see a little bit in the the way that this franchise was tackled up for I mean, obviously, this feels also cliche now at this point, but every the, every person that makes a superhero movie since 1978, it looks to Richard Donner's Superman, the movie yes. as the template. I mean, it's yeah, absolutely it's kind of it's kind of unavoidable. It's 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 a movie that created a, an entire subgenre of of movies. Yeah, there's uh, literally think. a scene in Wonder Woman that's just a scene from Superman. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I think that movie is totemic in a way that I think a lot of modern superhero fans might not even realize that maybe, maybe you haven't seen it in a long time or, it's or ever. It's the North Star. 
It really it's is there yeah. to guide everybody. Yeah, All you got to do is, is learn what it did right, learn what it did wrong, and just you can carry that straight on through morning. Definitely. So that being said, what was your take on X Men two thousand when that came out? Where where what's your history with these characters and this franchise? I've always known about the characters. I was not a big comic book reader growing up. So when the first X-Men comes out, I am 14 years old. I have really no interest whatsoever. Saw it in the theaters, thought like, eh, that's okay, I guess. And then I, my parents got it for me on DVD for Christmas. And I watched it again. I was like, this movie's awesome. <laughs> and then I rewatched it like five years after that. I'm like, no, it's it's all right. It's I think I I think my original point of view was actually the right point of view. But then X2 comes out and talk about being an instant fan of a movie. Right. I adored X2. It's kind of the the opposite of the Superman thing. Like the second one uh, is such an upgrade. Like X2 yes. just and it, and it just it has the benefit of that first movie getting all the heavy lifting out of the way of mutants and Charles Xavier and Magneto and you know X-Men and Brotherhood of Mutants and go. Now you get it. And then it's... It, yeah, the first yeah, it one just is always the stops. table setting. And then once you get mm-hmm. that out of the way, then as Brian Singer has said multiple times, referencing Superman 2, that's where you actually get to have fun. Right. And that's what X2 right. is. It's a pure hit of dopamine. It, it is just fun from the first frame to the last frame, and then it sets up a future that ended up not really happening. But we can always <laughs> right. look back and go, oh, remember when that could have happened? Because ironically, going back to the entanglement with Superman, Brian Singer left The Last Stand to make Superman Returns. Yes. And oh, boy, uh, what a great yeah. decision that was on everybody's <laughs> part. Oh, boy. It's better Strange. than Superman 3, I'll give it that. Yeah, I'll give well, it yes. That. Yeah, that, that's true. <laughs> So yeah, that being the case, I mean, and you see that a lot of times, Spider-Man 2, The Dark Knight. I mean, that's kind of generally, I feel like with superhero movies, you have to do the origin story uh, and then, you know, you can move forward with this. With Batman that. v. Superman, obviously <laughs> superior to <laughs> Man of Steel, Masterpiece, Zack Snyder is the greatest director who's ever lived, yada, yada, yada. Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, um, yeah. That's, I mean, everybody <laughs> talks about this, the 1984 effect. It's when of a movie course. So outshines the original, we say that it's such a Wonder Woman 1984 scenario. Thor: The Dark World. I mean, we're yeah, oh we're god, just talk about movies people down. love. Oh my god, everybody! <laughs> when we walked out of Thor: The Dark World, we didn't say, "Huh, what was that?" We said, "That's a masterpiece." <laughs> of course, but it's actually a, kind of a good segue—the whole origin story versus sequel thing. Because Hugh Jackman always wanted to tell the. Japan story. He always wanted to do some version of what happens in the Wolverine. They just had to get the origin out of the way first. And we got X-Men Origins Wolverine. Thoughts on that movie and then how the sequel sort of compares as we move into the Wolverine. I saw X-Men Wolverine or X-Men Origins Wolverine. I saw that opening day and it was one of the first times I remember walking into a movie with no expectations whatsoever, other than I'm pretty sure this isn't going to be good. And mm. having all those expectations validated and just sitting there for two hours going, what the hell is this? What the hell is this? What is Deadpool doing in this movie? What is going on here? And just walked out just completely incensed. 
and thinking if they never make another X-Men movie ever again, I think I'll be okay with that. And then they went on to make 95 more. Yeah. So shows what I know. <laughs> After the last stand in X-Men Origins, I think that's, everybody was sort of thinking, ah, I don't know if there's a whole lot more life creatively, at least because uh, last stand made a lot of money at the box office. And it X-Men turned out Origins that it was only halfway through the half life of this entire franchise. Little right. did we know, we <laughs> thought we were at the end. We were at the midpoint. <laughs> Well, that's when First Class came and rebooted it, and then thank God, oh, thank the God reboot for First got, Class. The reboot got kind of transmuted into a, a mutated rather into a prequel, and then they just kind of returned everybody, brought everybody back. And really, and honestly, this movie is really the beginning of the course correction. I'd say, yeah, I, yeah, I would totally agree. First Class was them kind of starting fresh. This was them sort of being like, no, no, we're gonna. We're going to acknowledge what we did, but we're going to fix it. And that, and that started here. This pays off. You know, there's sort of a, it wasn't on my copy that I watched on DVD of X-Men Origins Wolverine, which I got like $4 in a discount bin at Best Buy, like probably five years after the movie came out. That's appropriate. But <laughs> it's the only one that I bought like way after the fact. But there was a, an alternate, I think, post-credits teaser from that movie. I don't know if it's, on some versions and not others or on the, on a special feature or somewhere or whatever. But there was a post credits tease. That's Wolverine in a bar in Japan, you know, drinking to remember as he tells the bartender uh, not to forget. So they yeah, already that, were kind I of think shooting that movie, the They shot. had the two endings and depending on what screening you saw, you saw yeah. one of the two endings. If I remember correctly, I didn't stay yeah. for the credits because I they was done. Gone. I was out they should have gone with that one and not the the Deadpool severed head and shush, shushing oh, the audience. Oh, you have no idea uh, how much I agree with you on that. <laughs> oh, should they have not done that? Oh, boy. Well, that was initially, so that, that was sort of teasing that this movie was going to be a direct sequel to X-Men Origins Wolverine and set, you know, in the 90s or whatever. And instead they... They switch it up and they have this happen after the last stand. What are your, how do you, I don't know, any thoughts on where this fits with the the timeline of this? Because obviously they wanted to do a Japan story uh, involving Wolverine based on, you know, the, the Chris Claremont and Frank Miller uh, comic arc. But yeah, this is, they, they kind of reimagine it to fit the mess that the franchise was currently in at that point. Yeah, and I I do, I kind of admire the fact that everybody seemed to sour on The Last Stand, but they still stuck to their guns and they said, nope, we're not going to, we're not going to erase it. We're not going to sidestep it. We're going to confront it head on. And while they never mention specific events from that movie, to have Famke Janssen back again, I think is just a sign that maybe they were actually a little more confident than we would choose to look back in retrospect. But I, I do it's admire that this is before the timeline got really screwed up. This is <laughs> yes. before everything started to make so little sense that they they just started making movies and like, yeah, it takes place in the 90s. Whatever. Who cares? I don't know. <laughs> just put it out there. <laughs> but Fassbender looks like the same age as he did. <laughs> yeah, 30, every movie takes place ago, 10 years later. I know. He looks he looks a year older, maybe at the best. But I mean, he's a good looking man, so that's not a surprise. Yeah. But he ages Him and well. McAvoy have aged really well. Yeah, exactly. Oh gosh. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think the closest they get to referencing the last stand 
is at the end when he's like, you know, you were hurting people, Gene. Like I had to, I had to stop it. That kind of thing. Right. Uh, but like, it's, it's no, you don't get, I don't even think we get like flashbacks to that really. It's just, no, they, no. yeah, they more restaged with him having the nightmare of his, you know, his claws in her, in her, uh, in her abdomen and stuff. And Which is a hell of a, an image. That's a yeah, hell this, of an image. Yeah, it is. This movie, I think it's, if Logan is them taking the gloves off of Wolverine and just being like, we're going to do whatever. The, this is like, there's at least one glove off uh, right. in here yeah. in this movie. Like in so it's many ways. It's the stump. It's, it's yeah. just kind of there. In so many ways, this is the middle, mid, midpoint between X-Men Origins as far, as far as quality and as far as like level of violence and as far as, uh, you know, uh, intensity of storytelling and all that other stuff. Of between Origins and Logan, this is like almost the exact midpoint, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, did you watch the the extended version that's on the Blu-ray? I've seen it before. I didn't watch version? it for this. I, I've seen it before. I didn't watch it for this because I figured people listening are probably easier access to the theatrical version, which is on Disney+. Plus. Uh, but I have seen it before. And I know there's specifically that there's that uh, extended fight sequence uh chopping up ninjas with a snowplow oh it's amazing it's i'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it after when they when they said we have an r-rated version that we're putting out on blu-ray i was like okay but does it have chopped up ninjas and they were like yes yes it does and i said okay that's a day one purchase for me i'm gonna go to amazon (laughs) right now and pre-order that baby and you know what it's awesome it's the the reason for a movie to exist it's so good is it like the, because I have like that, I got the, whatever's collector's version, the big black box that the lid comes off and it has cards of the different characters and everything. It's like a Ooh. whole different thing. Yeah. I think I want to get this. This, this. <laughs> You you are triggering, triggering severe retail therapy genes in my body that are starting yeah. to mutate. Now I got to go buy that. Thanks a lot, Robert. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> but yeah, no, this was, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because of the way it fits in with the timeline, because of the way, like you were saying, I a hundred percent agree. Everything nowadays, it really frustrates me in a way that every franchise, especially in the horror genre are like, okay, but this is a sequel to the original and we're not going to acknowledge any of the sequels or it's like, it's a sequel to the first two. And it's like now with specifically Halloween, you have like four different tracks or something. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like speaking of Superman two, that's exactly what Superman returns is forget three and yeah. four. Those yeah. are the embarrassing yeah. ones. Uh, two is exactly. kind of embarrassing too, but we're going to pretend that one's okay. Exactly. Like, like what happened? Just, yes. Ending it. Keep moving it along. Exactly. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. But we're going to, yeah, we're going to keep moving that and you know, take what worked from that and fuel, use it to fuel our story. Yeah, and to that the end, Halloween rule, but we really should call it the Superman returns rule. It, that's that true, ruined Superman everything did. for everybody for continuity fans. Oh man. Superman returns was a death knell. Like say what you will about the star Wars saga and the mess that that is all over the place. Those movies all acknowledge. Yeah. Episode one happened. Yeah. The last Jedi happened like movies that are divisive. They're still part of the fabric of this franchise. And it's like, yeah, dude, you can't pick and choose. You you made it. You allowed it to happen. Own it now. Just like and move yeah, forward. I mean, like, nobody likes Solo, but they still make comic books with those characters that were invented for that movie. Yeah, exactly. So I gotta say, like maybe Disney having control of the X Men is not such a terrible thing because yeah. clearly they are okay with admitting when they make mistakes. 
And I think that's when you have a franchise that's as this long running and this unwieldy as the X-Men's are, you kind of have to take that approach to it. And that's what they're doing with all the Marvel stuff, too, in general. Like, look, everything is now multiverse. Everything counts. Right. Every, all the Spider-Mans are, are connected. All the, you know, the this Xavier is played by Patrick Stewart, who's connected to this one, a different Earth or whatever. It's like it's. Uh, yeah, I, I prefer that approach to just nit, like nitpicking your way it through. It makes me so happy that we have a world where a multiverse is now like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's all a multiverse. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Somewhere that's out there. Who cares? Yeah. I, I love, love the okay, whatever approach to filmmaking. I think it always results in great cinema. And I don't think it's ever gone down a ill road ever. He said, ironically, winking. You can't see me because we're not on camera, but I'm totally winking with both eyes. Some say that's called blinking. But it's it's a double wink. <laughs> and it's worthy of a double wink. <laughs> yeah. I uh, This one also brought James Mangold into the fold, who's, who is also a weird choice because James Mangold, for a guy that seemingly doesn't like making franchise stuff, keeps making franchise stuff. And I feel like because he has that just standalone approach, like focusing on this one story and not really you know, placating to the bigger picture. I feel like that's why these movies work. I mean, and I'm not going to speak for Dial of Destiny because that's a different franchise. But oh, boy. Oh, this boy. movie and Logan. We're not talking about that movie now. Oh, boy. This movie, like, it's also, I think you can see the willingness of Fox and the confidence that they have in this property and in Mangold specifically, where the first one is all about, you know, those little flashes that you see in the, in the first two X-Men movies. What if we just did a whole movie that just told you, by the way, he became weapon X and he got adamantium and his skeleton, you know, all the stuff that you know already, <laughs> how he has dog tags and where they came from. And while we got the name, the Wolverine, you need a whole two hour movie explaining that. Right. And yeah, then you've never one, read a comic before in your life. Yeah, was, okay, who, whatever. yeah. That movie just, it just goes so hard on every little detail. It's almost the solo approach in a lot of ways. And then this one, it mostly tells its standalone story, but it's framed with the last stand specifically in its rear view. Uh, I think the only real ties it has to X-Men origins are we get, we get Lynn Collins, Kayla, like in a voiceover briefly that like blinking. Oh, we do? If you, yeah. I no, I didn't very briefly. That. If I didn't have the, the subtitles on, I wouldn't have seen it. And, and I the gotta say, go mangled. Congratulations for working yeah. that into a movie and not grinding it to a halt. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> that and the bone claws, I think is really the only thing that, that feels reminiscent or of the, the original film the original being X-Men Origins. And then by the time you get to Logan, <laughs> you can see that after his vision here was compromised to some degree, Logan, he's like, okay, I'll come back. R rating. I want to buy a black and white version. I want to go as violent as I want. No other X-Men save for Xavier. Like it's a real progression for him. Do you, do you feel like his vision was severely compromised for this movie? Cause there are parts of it that feel like the same guy that made Logan. And there are parts of it that feel like Fox was like pushing him around a little bit. I think that when you watch the, the R rated version, it's clear that that's the movie that he had in mind. Mm -hmm. That if he had his druthers, he would be putting out that version in theaters. 
But if you look at like the difference between versions, I think that the violence only accounts for like 30 to 45 seconds. And the rest right. is just kind of like character building. But I, 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 you, I tend to think that, that those are the visions that are originally got the franchises started. So I don't know, but I think that, I think that if you watch the PG 13 version, I think that enough of it is there so that it's not a diluted vision. But I think right. that there's definite, there's dangling threads that I'm, I'm sure he would have liked to explore in greater detail. Because I know famously, there were early drafts of this movie where he was supposedly the only mutant in it. And I think that's a little bit of a high bar to set. Yeah, uh, for that, would have, that would have been too much for, I think, a lot of the, the fan base. Because, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, they're called X-Men movies. X-Men right. as in plural. You want to get more than one mutant in there. Although Raven says we should change the name to X Women uh, at some which point, which I agree so, with, you know, they which I do agree with. <laughs> yeah, X people, X persons, X people. Yeah, yeah, that's not a movie I'm looking forward to talking about, obviously. But yeah, I think that there are elements of that that work here. There's like I love the theme, the whole idea of you know that every the the, the weight that this guy has dealt with has carried for what, a couple hundred years or so by this point. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's a lot. Like 1850. So yeah, this, Something this guy's like been that, going yeah. on for almost two centuries. And the idea of the loss that he suffered, that everyone around him has died. He sort of sur- survived through so much, all the wars. And then obviously we focus on World War II in this one. I think that you can even see in my research for X-Men Origins, even that movie was trying to sort of delve into that a little bit and got hamstrung by the need for them to introduce a whole team of, uh, you know, strikers like elite force or whatever the hell those people were supposed to be called. Most of whom you will never see again, nor hear Most about ever. In it for two minutes. It's like, okay, there's will. I am there. He goes very strange. Uh, I, I really, I really appreciate his approach here. And this had a lot of development. Like this was Christopher McQuarrie was going to write it at one point. Darren Aronofsky right. was going to direct it at one point. Like, I can't imagine a Darren Aronofsky version of this. He's, uh, he's also going to do Batman Begins. So, you know, there's he he has a long history of being attached to comic book movies that never get made in their original intent. I kind of want to see him try one at some point. I want I actually I have read parts of his script for Batman Year One. It is absolutely insane. And I wish that they would let him make it at some point. Of course, now with the the consolidated DCU that will never happen. And I don't think anyone's actually been asking for it, but I have been, it is so nuts how it completely disrespects the legacy of Batman that I have to see it. I just, I need to peer into the multiverse as we've mentioned earlier and see that movie. It would be insane. Well, I mean, if we're in the multiverse, like who, who is it hurting at this point? Come on, get it up, get it up. Exactly. Up there. I mean, now the complication, we're now away from the Wolverine, but are we? Because the Wolverine and Batman are and are kind of intertwined thematically in a lot of ways. I think with the- Yeah, they both survived Nagasaki. That's canon <laughs> for Batman. Of course. With the, the Matt Reeves uh, films, I think that just complicates it. Because now we're, how many versions of like young Batman are we going to have? Like early career Batman, I mean. I, I really, I hope they stick to two. But given yeah. how disorganized DC has always been, we'll probably get seven Batman at some point. Probably. And then we'll have to have a Crisis on Infinite Earths movie just to deal with Batman. 
Like, don't even have any other super people in it. Just have seven versions of Batman and then just throw in Val Kilmer there for some reason. Yeah. Who well. knows? Who knows how that's going to shake out? I hope for the best, but I uh, history has proven me wrong <laughs> before. So here, here's hoping, but I don't know. Well, with all that, there's, there's only been one Wolverine so far. Yeah. We can yeah, say right. that. Yeah. Which is impressive. One Wolverine, one Iron Man, you know, uh, that's that those, those guys still stand for how long that is the question. <laughs> I give it two years. But, yeah, not not very long, I would imagine. So we already saw we already mentioned the uh, the beginning. Well, we didn't really mention the very, very beginning of this movie. So, like I said, we get the bone claws in World War Two. And speaking of that, the image of him uh, stabbing Wolf, uh, Jean Grey in that dream within a dream sequence, basically the, I, I have will forever have burned into my memory, the image of nuked Wolverine, like destroyed. Oh, Wolverine. It, it looks it, like the, uh, the Edward Norton Edward. version of the Hulk. Yeah. Where it's just like this, <laughs> this radiating weird lumpy chest. And it's just like uh, seeing like his singed hair and everything. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it and it continues sort of the trajectory that I guess I got to give X Men Origins a credit for this that puts the X Men movies in actual history. We get yes. briefly in X Men Origins the most widely appreciated part of X Men Origins, the opening credit sequence <laughs> when they're going through all the wars, and here we just kind of stop off in World War II to start this off. It almost makes me wish that we had just a series of Wolverine movies that were just like him in different wars. Like just give us world war two Wolverine, give us Vietnam Wolverine, give us, you oh know, God, I would love Vietnam Wolverine. Wolverine. Are you kidding me? That'd be amazing. Let's make it turns happen. out. He com- he complied with the carpet bombing of Cambodia and that's why he's so tortured. We'll get Darren Aronofsky to direct it. And we'll be all set. Yeah. Hell yeah. Now you're talking baby. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. So the Nagasaki thing, uh, I, what do you, what do you, what do you think of this movie and the way that it does that? Because I, every time I watch it, it's, it's like the opening of first class slash the original film when again, a world war two thing, like a set sequence. I, I think it's, it's such a bold way to start the story. And it's again, di- diving into parts of this guy's history that we haven't seen before. Right. I think that's what I like the most about it is that it, it reinforces the fact that he's been throughout history and has been experiencing these things along with humans and still trying to kind of keep himself under wraps. But I love the fact that we have this wide breadth of history with Wolverine and how he's existed in a, in a parallel timeline to our own. And the fact that they can actually still pull out something like this and have it be a surprise and it is a it is a bold and ballsy way to open a hundred and fifty million dollar summer tent pole to open with the bombing of Nagasaki. Yeah, that is sure to get the audience kind of on their heels a bit. And I think that it it might have been maybe a dicey proposition, but I I love that they did it. Yeah, I do too. I do too, because we see it. it We've seen him get shot in the head a couple times. Yeah. We've seen him, you know, get mauled and, and all the we've seen the Dark Phoenix try to tear him apart. And then for some reason he can he heals just as fast as she can make him disintegrate, basically. Uh, we've never seen him nuked before, so that's new. 
and and yeah. putting it in again, like I said, in real history, I think gives it that extra added weight. Uh, plus, it, it sort of establishes right out of the gate, like that his uh, his encounter with Yoshida in 1945, and now that character's life has gone on, and Wolverine's still basically doing a version of the same thing. I think and it, it makes it's, me wonder: Does that yeah. mean that he can't get cancer, or that he can get cancer and then just survive it because he has a healing factor? Because that radiation, I don't care who you are, human or mutant, that is not going to be healthy for you. One would You're going to have 18 livers growing on you if you get that blast of radiation. Well, we're jumping ahead a little, but like in Logan, doesn't he have some version of adamantium poisoning or something? Yes, yes he does. Yeah. So he gets sick at some point. Not from this, though, but I don't, th- I don't think it helped. It's yeah, it's a it's a really it's a really powerful opening. And I love that it establishes right out the gate that we're we're looking at a, a, a hero who seemingly lives forever. And what happens when he gets past that point where, like the movie says, he's without time, he's without purpose, that all he really wants is an ordinary death. So you're you're starting from a place of this hero who we've rooted for movie after movie after movie. And here he's just like, I, dude, I just want to lay down <laughs> and peacefully like you know phase out it reminds me of the the story arc of the original lon cheney wolfman yeah whereas when he he dies at the end of the first movie and you're like okay that's it and then they come back and make a sequel and they decide that his character arc is in all these movies all you want to do is just die nobody will let you you're just trying to die and that is such a perverse way of of threading through a bunch of franchise movies but I look at, at the Wolverine as kind of Marvel's way of saying, hey, maybe we should just do a Wolfman movie. Maybe the guy just wants to really die. Yeah. And just like opening it at Nagasaki, talk about a ballsy way to make your, your big blockbuster. That is not a very mainstream friendly way of going about comic book movies. And you kind of have to respect it when somebody tries to do it. Yeah, it's not often we get to see a superhero having sort of an existential crisis. And to your Wolfman point, I mean, this is a character who has always been very animalistic. The whole point of this movie, and I think it was, oh man, I had it in my notes and I already removed it. Somebody, I think it was Mangold, somebody, or or no, Chris Claremont said that like he always thought his idea for the original storyline that this was based on is that there was the the animal, the passionate animal of Wolverine. And then there was the, the samurai trying to sort of control the animal. And so this movie sort of highlights the the two sides of Wolverine, the Wolverine itself, and also the man that's trying to sort of harness that, you know, that power and that rage for for good. And I think you get a, a really good sense of what Logan has been going through all these years. And and also just like you see the the kinship that he has with the bear early on yeah. as they're walking through. I think that's so beautiful of an idea that they're like, oh, we're just two animals passing through. I know not to mess with you. You know not to mess with me. Uh, I, I, yeah, I just think he's, he has always been a character that's really sort of at, sort of has a, has a strong foothold in the natural world. Uh, and I think it's, it's cool when the movie sort of, uh, you know, dovetail off of that. And I'm glad you said character because that's exactly what this movie is. It's a character piece. Yeah. Whereas the other movies are ensembles, they are, they're kind of plot-based, whereas characters factor into that, but really it's about the forward momentum of the narrative. 
but the Wolverine takes time to breathe, and it's clear that you're just trying to get inside his head. That's all Mangold's trying to do. There is a plot there. It kind of uh, then just kind of devolves into a generic punch him up at the end. But it's clear that he never wants to lose the POV of Logan in this movie. I think that's yeah, where I, it works best. I 100% agree. And I think you have some of the, so we should get, since this is kind of a good segue to get into like the, the rest of the cast of this movie. Obviously, we, we mentioned Fumka Jansen as Jean Grey. Again, she's great as always. She's shot her part in like three days. So sounds uh, right. Good, so, sounds good like too her. many days, but it seems like something you could do in one. But you know, if you want to take three, go ahead. They wanted to make sure they got it all perfect. I guess I don't know. She brings a lot to this movie, though. Even with those three days of filming that she did, I think having her there and having her sort of be lingering in, in Logan's uh, peripheral periphery for all of this, I think adds that sort of specter of uh, kind of testing him. That he he says this, you know, he seems like he wants to die early in this movie in so many words. That's definitely the vibe he's giving off. And then, and yet at the end, he sort of has a renewed purpose and it's Jean Grey sort of the, the ultimate sort of uh, sounding board for that sentiment. And I gotta say, I would not be minding being haunted by Famke Janssen in lingerie. Is not, yeah. That is not the most terrifying vision I have rattling around inside my brain. I think I could manage it. She does just get kind of, in, kind of intense a, a few moments where yeah, she, she does get a little bit fine. scary. Yeah, yeah you're like, ah. I'm a big boy, I can handle it. Gonna, especially the, the Wolverine can definitely. He's like, ah, I'm, I'm, what am I scared of? of Jean Grey and lingerie? Yeah. Which if you're rhymes. listening, Fomka, I'm yeah. not available. <laughs> I have a girlfriend. But if uh, if you want to get back to me in 20 years, let's talk. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so no, so I like that she's in this. I think that's it's really cool that they brought her in. And to your point about it's not an ensemble, all of these characters, when they're in service of Logan's arc, it works. When there are other characters who are less successful and who feel like more distractions, that's when it sort of becomes a problem. Yeah, cough, what do you think cough, of Viper cough? Oh. <laughs> God, I wasn't gonna go straight movie. to that, but yes. So let's just do Viper. That character annoys the hell out of me. I don't think I hate I, her guts. I hate she her doesn't, so much. Yeah, I don't like the performance. Sorry. Well, the sorry entire to the thing actress. seems dubbed I don't because like I think she's character. like Czechoslovakian or something. Okay, it, it is. Okay, good. I've seen it. So I've, I don't. I, I was telling my wife this when we were watching it. I don't remember when I've seen that or where I've seen that, but I've seen. I think if you, I think somewhere on the Blu-ray, then maybe there's deleted scenes or something. And you see them without the dub yet, uh, the dubbed part already in. And it, that's definitely the case. It's definitely dubbed. Don't care for that character. I, I care even less that she has such a ridiculous mutant power. I care even less than that when she pulls her skin off and like goes full snake on us. <laughs> it goes bald. Oh, it's, it's really, great. It's, it's great. It's so terrible. It's great. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I guess I get that you need a character to do that. But my other thing with this movie is this is kind of my, my fundamental problem with X-Men Origins is that the whole story is just people pulling a fast one over on Wolverine. Like, I don't, I don't feel like you need that. Like, I don't feel like this movie needed to have the big twist that, spoilers for this movie, Yoshida didn't really die. He's keeping himself alive. 
And it's all a big ploy to get the last of the adamantium out of, you know, uh, to get the adamantium out of Logan's system, basically. I, think I don't that, mind. I don't mind that part. I yeah. just think that she's completely superfluous as a villain. Like, I don't know right. why we need a snake lady in the midst of all this Japan shenanigans. It really so, it doesn't match the rest of the movie, which is what's so disappointing about it. You if she wasn't cut a, her out. Yeah. 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 If she wasn't a snake lady and she was just like an evil mad scientist kind of thing, that would work better. I mean, I guess it's kind of outrageous that she's a snake lady. That that kind of has some a, a little bit of pulp to it. But I don't know if you if you just try to do the the hoodwinking of you think the guy's dead, but really he's inside the silver samurai. I think that could actually work. Mm-hmm. I just think that she's one distraction too many. Yeah, that's fair. The other antagonist that I I love, Hiroyuki Sanada. And everything, he's always great in everything. Yes. So like you yes, can't, you can't, you can't put him in some, like anytime he shows up in John Wick and Bullet Train and like whatever movies he happens to be in, in Mortal Kombat from 2021. Like wherever he is, I'm always like, oh, this guy rules. Cool. Um, this is gonna be good. I, I he brings a lot to Shingen and with sort of limited screen time and honestly, kind of a kind of a one note character, really. It's all performance that elevates that, I feel like. Yeah, I think he's so good that you forget how little of the movie he's actually in. Yes. Like, I remember 100%. the second I saw his face when I rewatched this yesterday, I was like, oh, we're in for something good. And then he's just kind of out. And then, yeah. like, three scenes later, he's dead. And I was, I was kind of amazed. But I guess that's that's how you know that an actor is good, is if you you believe that they're in more of the movie than they actually are. He shows up in Avengers Endgame for one scene to get killed yeah. by Hawkeye. <laughs> and even in that one scene, he's great. I'm he like, shows up Man. and you're like, yes, this guy's in the movie. And then immediately gets killed. And you're like, oh, crap. Damn it. Yeah, oh, exactly. Could have been so, great. Oh, well. <laughs> More Hiroyuki Sonata in, in all things, I guess, is our point. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know how much I... I, I the storyline with the Yakuza, like I love Shingen. I think that's a great character. Will Yun Lee's Harada is fine, and Brian T as Nuburo. Uh, I thought that character was was fun because it's the whole you know sleazy politician kind of thing. You get the scene with Wolverine throwing him over the balcony, where you get to have a a a, a character that's willing to kill, but who is still gets to be the hero because oh lucky there happened to be a pool down there. He didn't actually kill this guy in in cold Which blood. Is such I, a Wolverine I, thing to do. 100%. To not think about it ahead of time and just throw the guy and then have it just by lucky accident he didn't murder somebody. That's yeah. a great thing that you you really you have to you have to go along with the character in order for that to work. But I think that it absolutely works in this film because it you've sure seen does. him seven or eight times by this point. It's clear that the guy has no qualms with murdering people, right? And the fact that he's thwarted from murdering somebody by a by a pure a, a a sheer amount of geography is just delightful. <laughs> I think it's also the movie wants uh, if had he actually killed that guy in front of Yukio, I feel like it also makes Yukio complicit in that kind of action. And that character doesn't seem like she's willing to go that far. So I think that's where the movie sort of draws its line. 
And I'm glad you mentioned Yukio, because talk about the MVP of the movie. Yeah, 100%. Ryla Fukushima fucking walks away with this entire film. This is her movie. I love every single moment that she's on screen with those big eyes, those big Anya Taylor-Joy alien eyes. (laughs) She's just such a, a wonder to behold and just such a compelling, charismatic performance that I don't think I've actually seen another movie that she's in. I looked at Letterboxd yeah, and she's exactly. in like 14 or 15 movies. I don't think I've ever seen any of them. And I want to actually go back and watch them now because she's such a compelling performer. It makes me mad that we never got the Wolverine and Yukio movie that this the ending of this film sort of tees up. That was my Letterboxd review. Yeah. Is that okay, it, it is a it is a grave injustice that we never got another Yukio movie. It's just I mean, I know the Wolverine was not exactly the biggest hit out of the entire franchise, but you got to acknowledge what works. And she absolutely works. I, I put her in Logan. I don't care. Yeah, I just want to see her again. There's there's a an ongoing theme in these movies of Logan having like a strong young woman as his like uh, <sighs> dramatic and comedic foil, I guess. Because in the first one, it's it's Rogue and Logan. It's obviously Laura. So, I mean, you get like a lot of that going on. And I feel like Yukio just brings such a different perspective to that dynamic, not only with her power, but we also get like, we get enough of her backstory and her place in the, in the Yoshida family that we empathize with her and we sort of understand where she's coming from, but without it being heavy handed or taking the focus the narrative focus away from Logan. Like they, they sprinkle in just enough of that. And I think, yes, we know exactly what we need to know and nothing more. And it doesn't feel like, uh, you know, putting too little paprika on the sandwich. It feels like it's just enough. Yeah, it's perfect. And the other thing too, is that we do get Yukio in Deadpool two, but it's a different version of Yukio, which pisses me off. Yeah. Um, oh, this God. is like in Deadpool 3, that's the Yukio we're getting, not this Yukio, which annoys the hell out of me because I agree with you. Like, I, I thought her character was one of the, uh, definitely a standout of this film. When they announced that Jennifer Garner was going to be in Deadpool 3, I was immediately happy. And then I actually, I, I'm glad you brought up the whole Yukio thing because they announced that the girl who played her in Deadpool 2 was coming back. And I saw the name Yukio and I was like, oh, really? Are we doing this? And then I looked at the picture and I'm like, oh, never mind. <laughs> and I wouldn't mind Not, if this version of Yukio showed up as Negasonic Teenage Warhead's girlfriend. I think that that yeah. would be totally cool. But clearly that's not the direction they're going in, which is too bad, but whatever. That Yukio is just a, there's just like a, a one, one joke character. Yes, which is, exactly. That's all she's which is, there for is just the, much. the one gag. Yeah. And I mean, I would love to see this version of Yukio with the the lightning chain. I think that would just yeah. make her an, an even more dynamic presence. But, you know, thanks, Ryan Reynolds. I guess we're never getting that. Even though you have a multiverse to play with, you can do whatever you want. But no, we're not going to do that. Put both Yukios in there. I don't care. Just find And space. put Domino. Like, don't and- leave her out of the damn movie. What the yeah, hell is going on Domino. here? She was the best part of Deadpool, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not a movie I love. It's It's fine. Yeah, I also like to that end, I feel like Deadpool 3 is sort of their last, really their last opportunity to throw everyone from all these Fox movies in there because it feels like the kind of the the windows about to close and the dawn of the MCU's X-Men is sort of 
getting inching closer and closer. Which I got to say, I am tentatively hopeful about. Because when they first announced that they were doing the X-Men, they only referred to them as the mutants. They wouldn't call them X-Men. And I thought, okay, that's an interesting way of doing this. And then we heard literally nothing about it. And that was like three years ago. Right. So I don't know what we're going to get. I, you know, I try to be hopeful, but life has a way of knocking me down. So Mm. I don't know. I hope so, though. I really hope that they nail it this time. Yeah, me too. Make it make sense, at least. If you're going to do that, make it good and make it make sense. Because some of these movies work, some of these movies don't. It doesn't make sense, but we still got a lot of good stuff as as this mega series is sort of exploring. Tao Akimoto as Mariko. What are your thoughts on Mariko? Yes. Uh, very pretty. Has not really that much to do. Becomes kind of a damsel in distress towards the end, yeah. which I'm not crazy she, about. But She gets dragged away by thugs, like I think three times in this movie, at least. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Uh, But I think that with what she's given, she she does really well. Unfortunately, I don't think she's given that much to do. But God, what a beautiful face! Just she's there to be not hard to look at. No, not at all. No, she's very she's very lovely. She's there to be the the romance of the story. Unfortunately, like that's essentially that's it. The vibe. That's literally all that she's all she's the damsel, the romance. We get that. We get. One of six million love scenes that starts with two people coming in from the rain. Like, wow, it started pouring all of a sudden. Let me get you a towel or a robe. And all of a sudden, you know, the candles start lighting up and all this other stuff. It's like The Dark Knight Rises has a similar sort of thing. Walk a trickle. Uh, Yeah, pretty much. Stuff is going to go down here, but we can't show you because it's a PG-13 movie. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But there's some good, there's some fun moments with them in the love hotel and all of that. Like, I, you know. It's, it becomes an on-the-run movie part of the way through Act 2. Yeah, I think enough of it works. That yeah. I'm not sitting there and like cursing every moment she's on screen because she's so underdeveloped. I think that she brings a presence to it that you don't tend to really mind if she's not actually utilized very well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's see. Also, Silver Samurai slash the character of Yashida... Uh, great design. Great yeah. design. What they do <laughs> with it, I don't know that necessarily that is great, but because I mean, at the end, it turns into just a generic punchy punchy. Right. And it's kind of disappointing when you have said, I mean, but the great thing is like when he chops off his claws and then starts drilling into them, that's one mm-hmm. of those images that has never shaken from my brain since the moment I saw it because that's such a disgusting image. And to have yeah. that in a PG-13 movie is actually quite striking. But yeah, man, no, does know. that shot look painful. And I know it's just, it's CGI claws and CGI drills, but man, does Mangold make that look as gnarly as possible. <laughs> it's also like they apparently redesigned the claws a bit for this one. They're more curved and they come out between the fingers, probably so that they could actually have that scene where he's little, they're literally drilling right between his fingers. Uh, and it's also that's, one of those things that I I had forgotten that they did that in this movie until it happened. And then as the fight was occurring and he pulls out the heated sword and they have uh, Viper gets him to take his claw out and his hand is kind of stuck there. I was like, oh shit, that's right. They take his claws off and yet somehow they're back by Days of Future Past. They're not bone claws again. And that, again, one of a million things in these movies that you're just like, sure, whatever. Um, yeah, like the fact that, you know, Professor X is alive, you know, that's Well, stuff. they, te- they teased well, that kind of at the end of Last Stand, but they never referenced it they again. They never 
explain it on screen, which was always infuriating to right. me. It is like <laughs> at, at some point, Patrick Stewart should turn to the camera during Days of Future Past and go, as in that post credit scene you didn't watch. Remember? <laughs> yeah, we didn't get a flashback or like a line of dialogue or nothing. Just looks like, hey, I'm live now. And he goes, yeah, all right, cool, whatever. We're going to make this movie? He's like, right. You're not the only one with here. gifts. <laughs> you're not the only one with gifts. Remember when I said that in the first movie? That's all you need to know. We're moving Yeah, I was talking it. about uh, having a, a twin waiting in a in a hospital bed. That's what gifts mean. Okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> Learn to read between the lines, Logan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's again, this is the movie where they're just like, eh, whatever. No, no, you don't need to know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, okay. So the third act of this movie, as we were saying it, everyone almost across the board really likes this movie until I guess it's just when they get captured by Viper and Silver Samurai, right? That's when yeah, it, once they it get turns to the into, big facility, when it becomes yeah. just a generic, we're right. going to fight in this antiseptic environment. Like yes. We've seen that literally a million times before. There's no, there's Ugh. no juice in that. And then it becomes a Transformers movie, basically with Silver Samurai. Which yes, I don't which care for. I'm okay with. I think there, there could have been more Silver Samurais in, in the Transformers movie. I think Michael Bay would have learned best to put them in there. <laughs> I know he's not a Transformers character, but it would be nice now that every corporation is linked. There could be some cross yeah. synergy there. Might as well. They'll get there. Disney will get, uh, what is it, Hasbro at some point. Yeah, that's and the next thing go. they need to buy. Yeah, we got to <laughs> we gotta put that on Twitter or put that on X. Say, Disney, yeah, please now buy X. Hasbro. You can do it, whatever. Just to do it so you can do the Silver Samurai Transformers mashup. So how, how what would have been the better way for them to take this movie? Like, what if you were in the writer's room, and you were like, okay, we're good up to the point when Logan gets pummeled by arrows in his back and he just like passes out, basically. Next scene, what, oh, what, where would you take this? That's a damn good question because I don't have an answer for it. That's one of those things like Bill Hader was talking about screenwriting uh, one time. He pointed out that if you write something and you show it to somebody to read and they tell you that doesn't work, they're probably oh, yeah. saying, they're probably telling you the truth, but if they say here's how to fix it, they're probably wrong. So I think I'm I'm the person reading the script in that scenario, where I can tell you where it went wrong. I just couldn't possibly tell you. And here's a better way to do that, right? Because I think that clearly that's what the movie is actually angling towards. It's not like the studio came in and said we don't like the third act that you have. We're gonna switch it up. Now he fights Silver Samurai. It's clear that that was in mind from the very beginning, but it's right. just, it's, it's a waste. It really lets down what has been up to that point, a kind of superlative Wolverine movie, and then turns it into every other action movie, especially big budget action movie that you've ever seen before. I think if they could have found out another way, a different way to sort of get Wolverine's DNA, like maybe they had Wolverine's DNA and then Yashida like regenerated already. And they just showed up in the regular silver samurai uniform, like the armor that we see in the, in the funeral sequence that, mm -hmm. that is so obviously pointed out by Yukio as, as foreshadowing, like there's a silver samurai armor. It's going to be watching over him forever. Like, and then we just get an epic sword fight. I mean, we kind of got one a little bit with uh, Shingen earlier, but like, Give me that over all the CG and, and all this, like, uh, yeah, low stakes. That's, 
Low stakes yeah, is, low is stakes where the personal, story was like, going. Just keep it in that direction. Exactly. And it's literally Wolverine battling his past, essentially. Right. Yeah. Which, again, is something Logan does, again, <laughs> with the main villain of Logan uh, actually being, spoilers, younger Logan. Logan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, Hugh Jackman said when promoting this movie, he's like, the great battle, he, he says, is, is with, with Wolverine is always the battle within. And that's that's that character. And that's yeah. when he works Subtext best. Subtext so, made text. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, it takes away from it, I think. It's not enough to, to completely dismantle the movie, but enough for you to be like, it was like you were almost there, movie. You were like three quarters of the way there, and you dropped the ball. And I have to imagine some of that was Fox being like, we need a big CGI you know, ma- ma- creature, monster, villain at the end for him to fight like every other superhero movie that look at the box office numbers of all these Marvel movies that have the big globity globs that they fight at the end. Like, I, I can't imagine that would have been Mangold's uh, choice if he was given an option. I think that if, if like Logan, he was on there from the very beginning, that's probably not the direction they would have gone in. Because he's a pretty hands-on filmmaker especially if he's if he gloms onto a project early he tends to affect the trajectory so it'd be interesting to see what this movie would be like if he was the only director considered to actually make it mm-hmm. instead of like 19 different people that probably <laughs> came close and then just completely avoided it altogether yeah yeah absolutely it's also the whole silver samurai encounter it also Creates a situation where, so he got like 95% of the adamantium from the Wolverine skeleton, but didn't seem to have an effect. It's one of those, it's the classic movie rule of <laughs> if, the, if, a, if a process gets 99% of the way complete, but it doesn't reach 100, it, none of it happened. Yeah, you know, the 1% it, rule. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was literally on death's door. And uh, yeah, no, he's, he's just fine. It's funny when that happens. It's just one of those things. Uh, I, I also was a little annoyed. We were talking earlier about Mariko and how she doesn't have much character development. And yet she mentions at one point that uh, that her and Harada were like, oh, we met here and he was really good with you know swords or whatever. I forget what she said. And, and I was really good with knives. And so the payoff we get is her throwing one of Logan's claws in her grandfather's head. And that's that's pretty much all we get for that. It's like she could have been more active in that third act if they were going to. She should have been stabbing like Viper left and right. Just completely. <laughs> yeah. I told you I was good with knives. Stabby, stabby, stab. <laughs> Something. But no, we Give never me. got that. That's a. Oh, God. Thanks a lot, Mangold. Thanks a lot, bud. <laughs> we should have got Yukio and Mariko v. Viper, at least. Yes. Like if you're going to have yeah. Something. And and Marco that, that keep, or, and and Yukio keeps predicting in which direction Viper's going to go, and then she keeps on swerving. Oh man, that'd be awesome! Yeah. This is the okay, moment we just rewrote death. the no, end of the movie. The there we go. Yeah. Yes. I like our version better. Let's see. Let's see what else we got. Obviously, from the cast. Obviously, Hugh Jackman always great in everything. We never. We didn't. I, I, each of these movies, I I have to take a moment to just acknowledge that he's played so many versions of this character and so many uh, facets of him over the course of these several movies. And he just always a hundred percent committed, even if the material is X-Men origins Wolverine. And it's amazing. He, to think that If it so weren't good. for mission impossible Two, he would not be Wolverine. 
That's very true. That's, That's insane very true. to me. The fact that we have one of the one of the greatest comic book castings in the history of the medium is because somebody was too busy making another movie. Yeah. Or would would the character have taken off in the same way if it no. was too great? Doug Scott. Ray Scott is That's not good. that compelling a performer. Hugh Jackman yeah. just has that spark to him that you, even when he's given subpar material to work with, you want to see what he's going to do with it. Yeah, I agree. That was kind of my point. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's just, yeah, he's got that, that sparkle in, in the action stuff, in the, the character beats and like the little comedic moments. It's yeah. It's really, he, he yeah. He makes these movies, even when they're bad, worth watching, I guess is my point. Yes. I would 100% agree. We didn't talk about the bullet train sequence yet. Best that's action a, scene really... in the whole damn picture. Oh my yeah, God. What a scene. So much fun. And it's the kind of green screen heavy thing that could have gone really bad, really fast. And yet I, it completely works for me. It's if just you fun told me that they shot that on top of a train, I would have believed you. If it was Tom Cruise, then I would be like, Oh look, they shot this on top of a train. I would have just assumed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, especially after Dead Reckoning. It's like, that seems to be his thing. It's like, we're going to make another Mission Impossible, Tom. Okay, do I get to crawl on top of a train? Well, not really, but yeah, sure, whatever. Let's let's do that for you. <laughs> we love you, buddy. Yeah, here's some running. I literally, earlier this evening, saw like a 10-minute supercut of all the running that he does in those movies. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of running is my point. He just loves to run. Uh, I obviously we have to talk about Logan's near death experience in this movie. That with the being squiddy squid the, with the squiddy the squid, squid. Which is straight out of the matrix, basically. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to think about what, where I recognized that from before, but, you know, even acknowledging that I've seen this movie before, but yes, you're right. It is. It's the body squid from the matrix. The thing is real. And and it happens years during later, later. They're still ripping off the matrix. Oh my God. That really, was seismic. that really was yeah. culturally seismic and it even it even uh he happens sort during a dream sequence of sorts where he's sort of like half asleep and then viper's standing over him and that whole thing who's viper's basically poison ivy in this movie for a lot of it too which is weird oh, imagine if uma thurman played this role i'd be so on board I, with this character yeah more viper yeah, exactly. We're saying very different this things. Movie, why don't they call it Viper? Why don't they call it The yeah. Viper? That works for <laughs> Viper. Exactly. So, no, Yukio saying, you know, I saw you die. I see you on your back, blood everywhere, holding your heart in your hand. Obviously, I don't know. Do you think... Mm, they didn't know. Mango, they didn't know that that's where I, they I were didn't going think so. I don't think so. No. Yeah. But it so is then, cool if you look at it just in wrong, retrospect. I guess. Yeah. She, exactly. Yukio is just wrong. That's the thing. She's wrong. But if but you, if you look at it yeah, in the grand ahead. scheme of things, it does work. And I think that it, it works very well. But it's one you of those have to remember touches. that scene. That's the exactly. problem. It's one of those touches that you probably wouldn't have gotten had this movie and Logan not been directed by the same man. Right, exactly. And the fact that it, it's there and the fact that it is sort of retroactively a callback or a call forward, a foreshadowing, whatever, what have you. I, yeah, I love that. I think it adds meaning to both of those moments uh, and enriches both movies in, in, a, you know, in some small way. Yeah, I totally agree. Let's see. Logan loves his white tank tops. I had that in my notes because every movie Logan's wearing those <laughs> white tank tops. <laughs> um, it's just it's his look. Uh, it's also it's always funny. My, my wife pointed this out. We were watching it. 
the beginning of the movie, 1945, he has a very similar haircut. And then when he gets the haircut in modern day, it's like he's the, his one hairstyle. It's like, here, this is how I look always. Fix my hair this way. <laughs> um, so he's very, they call that very the Wolverine consistent. Deluxe. I'm going to just put <laughs> yeah. it out in the book. Can you say that? Now, exactly. don't mess that up. I only have the one. Exactly. Exactly. I, I love the, 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 um, the moment with the chopsticks. They keep putting the chopsticks upright. And she's like, that's a bad omen, sort of the looming specter of Logan's death. There's little things like that that I really stand out to me. I love that the, the way this movie treats the Japanese language and culture. It feels intrinsic to the movie and not just, you know, sort of, I don't know, not, not cultural appropriation, but it feels it's like not Japan's it authentic. It's, right, exactly. There is a real reverence for it, which I think that, yes. that's something that Mangold totally brings to the movie. That is entirely 100%. Uh, the way it's shot, all the shadows and all this stuff. I just had random notes for some of these things. The the fight scene with Yukio and Shingen and then Logan and Shingen, I think is really great. Like, again, you give me swordplay in a movie like this, I will I will ask for more for more of it. Yeah, never yeah. enough of that kind of thing. Absolutely. Uh, we need more movies where Wolverine uses swords. We need more movies where superheroes use swords in general, actually. Two hands. We're talking about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with the one, two hands. Two, two hands. <laughs> Which was another cool callback when he does the two hands on the on the on the, the uh, flame sword. samurai sword. Yeah. yeah, come on, flame sword. I'm not gonna say no to a flame sword. Uh yeah, I already mentioned the, the there was the oh the alternate ending with the yellow suit tease. God, I would have you- loved that they put that in there. I've seen the picture of the suit. Right. And although I'm actually I'm a lot more excited about the the yellow X-Men 92 suit that he's wearing in Deadpool 3, I still want to I, I still want to see him wear that the green and yellow suit. Yeah. But it's clearly not going to happen, but it'd be nice if it did. Yeah, I think they just used I, I mean in a way if they were never going to pay it off, it's glad it's better than it's not that that tease is not in this movie because Right. Don't mess with don't don't mess with our hearts that way. Movie. Exactly. Don't yeah. put that and then have him back in black leather and Days of Future Past or whatever. Speaking of which, obviously this again after X-Men Origins, the first one that came out after Iron Man, these movies are suddenly like let's tease the next one, let's let's key up the next thing, let's keep people going. We're going to share universe this thing. This is like kind of the height of that, I'd say, where the Wolverine has a mid credit scene that jumps two years. We get a tease of Trask Industries. He's still got his bone claws, runs into Magneto and Xavier at the airport. And they're like, hey, what's up? You need to come in the next movie with us. How did you feel about that when you, I guess when you watched this the first time that they were sort of going in that direction with it? Well, in theaters, I knew he was going to be in the next one. But I was, this is before, this is still before kind of like the, the mid credit scene became the thing. It used to mm. be you had to wait until the very end of the movie. Like, I mean, like you mentioned Iron Man, you have to wait yeah. until the entire credits are over and nobody told you, by the way, stick around. There's going to be something at the end. But around 2013, that is after the mid credit scene of the Avengers when you have Thanos for the first time. So that's really where it's starting to take hold, where you don't have to watch all of the credits to get the good stuff. And mm-hmm. I was just happy to see those, to see Professor X and Magneto again, even though the last time we saw them, I thought that was pretty much the definitive end to those characters. Right. But I was genuinely excited just to see that that tease up. I mean, I should have figured it was going to happen, but I'm a sucker for that. I'm an easy mark. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I like seeing that stuff. I know that it's annoying to most people who watch movies these days, but 
I loved it then. I still get kind of a kick out of it now. I don't mind the post and mid credit scenes so much, especially if it's, if it's a franchise and you sort of know there's a foregone conclusion that obviously if there's a Super Mario Brothers movie, they're probably going to put something after the credits because obviously they're going to make a sequel. You know, that kind of thing. Like, I think that makes sense. It's just funny now that sometimes now, I, like, I don't even leave my theater until I look up, wait, is there something after the credits before I go? Okay, no, that's not good. Yeah, now just I just stay there. I everywhere. just wait until yeah. the movie's over, no matter what it is. I mean, even if I know nothing, like a, go see an A24 movie. I know they're not going to have a post credit scene setting up the A24 cinematic universe, but <laughs> it's a now it just gives me an excuse like to it. just watch the credits. Yeah. Which I think is great. Yeah. I think that's the best thing that post credit scenes have done for cinema is that now we actually sit through 10 minutes of credits and yeah. kind of pretend to actually read their names as we're waiting <laughs> for the scene that we've been waiting for. And if it's a movie that has an amazing score, hey, bonus. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. Also, also, this was the speaking of trends in Hollywood at the time. This was the first X-Men movie released in 3D in post-conversion when that was happening, when that was like more popular. Uh, yeah, that's how then. I saw I it. Yeah. In fact, the, was, uh, the Blu-ray that I have is currently, it's the 3D Blu-ray, the, the 3D nice. disc of which I've never watched. But we <laughs> used to have a 3D TV, so I guess there was always the possibility that I could have watched it, but now we don't anymore, so I guess that's not going to happen. Oh, well. <laughs> is there anything about the Wolverine we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure we mentioned before we start uh, moving on here? You know, I'm looking at my notes and I think we've covered basically everything I have to say. Yeah, it's a really fun movie. I think I, I feel like it gets weirdly forgotten because it's just good and not like Oscar nominated like Logan and not like so heavily maligned. Like X-Men Origins, it gets kind of stuck as the middle child syndrome. And yet of this weirdly franchise. overpraised. If you look at like the people who really stick by this movie, I look at what they have to say and go, okay, yeah, it is really good. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. But it's really yeah, good. It's true. I feel like the people that like this movie just like they have to they feel the need to overpraise it because it it gets so <laughs> it, it it gets kind of sort of discounted a lot. Yeah. You and gotta so remind people, people that like, it I gotta like this first. a lot. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, it is streaming on Disney Plus, uh, as as are a lot of these movies. Actually, up to this point, I think the only ones that are because I own uh, all of these movies that I'm talking about this mega series, except for Dark Phoenix. <laughs> that includes X-Men Origins, that includes Apocalypse, uh, except for Dark Phoenix, and and all only one up to this point, I think that's on Disney plus is the last stand. And then this one, and then no, like, X-Men's on there. the rest, the original X-Men is yeah, on there. Original X-Men's okay, there. I think X2 good. is there too. Okay. And of course, if you have the mature account, Deadpool is on there. I don't know why they're putting that ahead of other movies, but whatever, what am I going to do? Complain yeah. more about Deadpool. I think we've done enough of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, that being said, that's that's the Wolverine. Good movie. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. Obviously, the franchise is celebrating its 23rd anniversary, but 10 years of the Wolverine. And as of this recording, almost 10 years uh, exactly, like a few days past the yeah. uh, the 10th anniversary of this movie's release. So 
all of that being said, what do you think is the legacy of the X-Men movie franchise? What does it contribute to cinema, the superhero genre, etc.? I think that without the X-Men movies, we would not have a Marvel Cinematic Universe. That I don't think people would be hip to the idea of sprawling meta-narratives that can splinter off into their own directions and then re-solidify into one consistent franchise. Where you can go off and you can spend a couple of years with one character and then they'll be folded back over into the into the prime timeline and then just keep going from there. Obviously, the MCU has done a better job of consolidating continuity. But I think that honestly, without uh, the first X-Men, you don't have an Iron Man. And I mean that literally because Kevin Feige worked on the first X-Men and I believe he worked on the second one as well. And so I don't think he rises to a place of prominence without those movies. So I think that whether or not we like the idea of a shared universe in practice or in theory, it's all X-Men's fault. We were talking about Batman earlier, too, and I feel like these movies also sort of laid the groundwork for not only characters weaving in and out, but multiple versions of those characters yes. kind of popping up all over the place. Because now we have... Pattinson, we have uh, we had Affleck, the last remnants of Affleck. We had we the last Clooney back of- into the fold. Spoilers <laughs> for the Flash Clooney if back. you haven't seen the Flash. <laughs> Clooney's back, baby. <laughs> I would love for them to just be like, no, Batman the Brave and the Bold. George Clooney is Batman. What up? Oh my God, like, are just, you kidding me? I would go, just go for it. I would love that. <laughs> I would watch that movie in a heartbeat. Oh my God. That'd be so cool. Get get Uma Thurman back as Poison Ivy. Yes. <laughs> like we're yes. saying. She's not dead. She can't be dead. It's multiverse. Multiverse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, last I saw, she was in prison with Mr. Freeze, who's probably not being very nice to her. So I would imagine they're still in prison. Some maybe hanging yeah. out there somewhere. Yeah. Get get Michelle Pfeiffer back. It's a whole thing. It's a be a Batman uh, 90s Batman reunion. But but yeah, so now because in this movie we have around this time, <laughs> we have the Fastbender McAvoy and the McKellen Stewart sort of literally in the next movie, those four actors sharing, well, Stewart and McAvoy sharing screen time and everything. So I think it's it's these movies that really sort of establish that, hey, we can jump around from timeline to timeline and it, it all it, it doesn't all have to make sense makes, it's fine it, yeah, nobody has to understand what's not, going whatever. on whatever right right hey you already I, bought your ticket <laughs> i days of future past you huge risk i feel like for this franchise that they were they tried to be a sequel to like several different movies combined two casts it was it, it, yeah it's it'll be a whole thing people will hear me talk about next episode but but as for you what is your three top uh, top three, rather, of this franchise of the ten, no New Mutants because it's not a real movie. I don't care what yeah, it doesn't say. exist. I don't know. It doesn't I, exist. What, new Mutants? I've never heard of that. I don't. know. Yeah. was that a thing? Non non existent mutants, more like it. Yeah. Not counting the Deadpool's, so just the X Men, Wolverines. What are your like top three of those? Uh, number one is X Two. I think that off uh, imitated, never duplicated. I'm glad you brought up uh, the risk of X-Men Days of Future Past because that's my number two. I think that that's such a weird swing for a major multimedia franchise to take, and I always appreciate weird swings. And speaking of weird swings, my number three is, of course, Logan, the best Wolverine movie. 
I haven't seen it in six years, but I just got it on 4K. I can't wait to sit down and indulge in it, although I'm not going to watch the black and white version because I'm not pretentious. <laughs> I was just about to ask, does it have Logan? It's not even the black it's and white Logan version. Noir. It's Logan Noir. Yeah. <laughs> For maximum pretense. And they have it in 4K as if I'm going to watch that disc. Are you kidding me? That thing's going to just collect dust. I'm going to use it as, watched- a, as a coaster. <laughs> I watched it once. I watched, obviously, the regular version. I watched the black and white just out of curiosity. And I was like, okay, this is good. I'm going to watch the, the regular one. Like the, yeah, the I'm to watch the real movie. version. Yeah, The exactly. movie that they made, exactly. not the one that they decided to post-grade in, in post-production. Right, right, exactly. But, you know, I, whatever. If they want to throw different versions of stuff out there, like, as long as they didn't lock it away, lock away the color version... And they'd be like, nope, it's only black and white now. That's all that's available to you. <laughs> like some of like, well, Disney uh, and Lucasfilm have done in the past. Then I, I don't mind it. It's just like a kind of a, a, a curio of uh, that film's history. So I don't, it's, yeah, it's not my preferred version either though. So that'll, that, that's, that feels like it's the consensus. Honestly, those, those three, some first class thrown in. Uh, those are like the big four that I hear about the most. I have a and lot I of think, love for first class. I think that that probably would have been my number four. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know. After I have time to sit on it, I have to ruminate after I rewatch Logan for this podcast. But those are definitely my top four. The order kind of shifts a little bit depending on which one I'm watching. When I was watched uh, Days of Future Past for this podcast, I was like, Man, maybe this is my favorite. As, uh, uh, instead of previously having X two in the in my top spot, so it's like it's really close between those two, I think. But yeah, now that's a good call, Ryan. This is this has been so much fun. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. Tell people where they can find you on social media. Sure. So I'm at uh, One Track Mind Pod on Twitter. Uh, one that is the numeral one track mind podcast on Instagram. I did not get to choose that name. So don't be mad at me for it. I'm upset about it too. I have the podcast. Patreon is at patreon.com slash one track mind podcast. And you can find reels of justice at reels of justice on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Thanks again, my friend. This was a blast. We'll definitely get you back on here soon. Oh, please do. Bye, Big thanks to Ryan Luis Rodriguez from One Track Mind for coming on to discuss 2013's The Wolverine, a film that marks a pretty significant <laughs> step up in quality from its predecessor. Uh, but it's it's interesting how this Wolverine franchise evolves as it goes along. What are your thoughts on The Wolverine? Does it hold together all the way through? Are you like uh, like you know, Ryan and myself and most people where you're like lose a little bit of steam in the third act when uh, when it goes a little Transformers on us. Let me know. You can find me on Twitter slash X at Crooked Table and the same handle on Instagram via email Robert at CrookedTable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. We'll be back next episode swerving back to another X-Men ensemble film with X-Men Days of Future Past. We'll catch you at the next stop, everyone. See you in the future. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED.